say good morning to everyone. Look forward to a, a short period of, of study with you this morning. I'd like to ask you, if you would, to be turning in your Bibles to Acts, the 15th chapter. And uh, we'll focus on the fifth verse and read down through the 11th verse. So if you'll read along with me, Acts 15, verse 5. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know what a good while ago God chose among us, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. And I want to ask you uh, if you had a similar experience to me uh, in conversation. Sometimes somebody will say something, they'll make this statement, they'll make this proclamation, and then they'll follow it up with a statement something like this, and that's the gospel truth. Have you ever heard somebody say that? I've heard that several times. And I've even sometimes heard that, and I've wondered, well, you know, could that could that person properly understand what they're saying because that person's not a religious person. Uh, they're, they're possibly very far from religious. And it, and it makes you wonder what, what they could possibly mean if they're not a religious person and they say something like that. Well, the word gospel to you and me certainly has a, a, a religious connotation to it. I'm confident of that this morning as I'm speaking to you about it. But, but having heard an expression similar to that several times, I know what that expression means. It, it means that the statement that's been made, the proposition that's been made is fact, that it's absolute truth, uh, that it's undisputable maybe, or authoritative is another way to say it. That's usually what people mean when they say that sort of thing. However, the word gospel was in use before it was translated into a biblical sense. Our English word gospel, if I were to ask you, you know what the definition of it is, I think most people would know and could tell me uh, that the term means glad tidings or good news. And that's how it was used. And so it was used in the sense that to express an announcement or glad, uh, of glad tidings or good news. But when Jesus came into the world, that word kind of took on a religious connotation to it, a religious significance to it. We go back to one of the verses that we read there just a moment ago, uh, verse 7 of Acts chapter 15. You hear Peter referring to the word of the gospel, the word of the gospel. So here's, here's another one of those expressions that uh, that describes the scriptures uh, in the Bible, the word of the gospel. And so 
I would like to look at this word this morning as we're beginning to, by, by thinking in terms of, of what it's meant uh, in terms of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, their gospel records. And certainly we could take the term gospel and we could spend a tremendous amount of time this morning talking about that time we're not going to take. So I'm only going to pick out certain select passages out of each one and kind of evolve our line of thought around that. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23 tells us that Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. So here in this, this recording of the gospel, Matthew refers uh, in terms uh, to the word gospel in terms of the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now keep in mind that in the time of Jesus uh, that there was this uh, amazing anticipation of the coming kingdom of God. Everywhere among the Jews, people were anticipating the coming Messiah, uh, the coming king, the coming kingdom. But what we need to also understand is that, that these people, while they were anticipating the coming of the kingdom, they really didn't have a proper definition of what the kingdom was going to be. They didn't use God's definition of, of it because they thought entirely in terms of an of a earthly kingdom, a physical kingdom. Uh, as you well know, they thought a, a king would come and he would sit on the throne in Jerusalem and that this king would be of the lineage of David. And, and he would bring Israel once again back to its, its former glory. That was their concept of it. And then Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. They didn't use God's definition because, again, they thought of it as an earthly kingdom. Jesus came and he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom, but he never talked about the earthly kingdom. He never talked about the former glory or the lineage of David of, of the kingdom. And so he attempted during the years of his ministry while he was here on earth to convey God's definition, God's truth concerning the kingdom. And he, and he preached the gospel of the kingdom. He preached God's truth concerning the the kingdom, no matter the fact that, that people did not, still didn't comprehend um, uh, what it was that was meant by the expression of the gospel. Now looking over to Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 1 and verse 1, and here's what we read, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the beginning of the gospel. Now let's remember that in the beginning of the book of Matthew and, and the gospel according to Luke, you remember that there's this considerable amount of information about the lineage of Jesus and, and a good bit of information prior to our being introduced that, to the fact that Jesus is actually here. You see, Mark just launches right into the ministry of, of Christ. He, he doesn't spend any time talking about the lineage uh, or about prophecy or about preparation or any time talking about the birth of Christ or the early years of Christ. He just launches directly into the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, the beginning of the gospel. And if you look down to verses 14 and 15, let's read those together. Verse 14, now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled 
and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. So here we see immediately Jesus is seen in the gospel of Mark preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And notice particularly in this passage we read this statement, the time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled. Now, if we pause for a moment and we think about the denominational world today and, and the teachings that are, are in it and what we're hearing today, we hear there's some, some future day uh, way off when Christ is going to return to the earth and he's going to establish his kingdom uh, and it's some number of years later. But you see, the Bible doesn't say anything about what we're hearing in that, in that sense, in that teaching in the denominational world. What the Bible says is the time is fulfilled. It's here. And the kingdom is at hand. And, and at hand means something to us, doesn't it? Uh, Jesus said not a thousand years from now, not 10,000 years from now. It's here. The time is fulfilled. That's, that's the way he expressed the gospel. And he said the kingdom is here. Now turn into to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. These are verses that we're familiar with, and you'll notice if you're looking at your Bible right now that the English word we're talking about, the word gospel, uh, is not in this text. But what is in the text? Well, let's read it together. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So where's the word gospel in those two verses? Well, it's right there. It's good tidings. The two words that are translated from the same word uh, that we translate the word gospel is also good tidings. And, and we look at what Luke's concern was. His concern was at the very beginning of his gospel is not with the kingdom of God, it's with the fact that we have a Savior that's born to us. And we need to keep in mind also at the same time that, that Luke was a Gentile writer. And perhaps the idea of the kingdom, uh, while I'm sure it was important, while he, he goes on later to express great truths concerning the kingdom, that perhaps the kingdom was not as important at the beginning of his writing as was the fact that was born to us was a savior. Because you see, he's a Gentile. And he, he was, in effect, an outcast as far as Jews were concerned. And, and so what great news it was that even the Gentiles are included in the love and the grace of God. Born to us and to all humanity is a savior. And again, I could spend a lot of time uh, looking at, at the term gospel in terms of the, the synoptic gospels. Uh, but the point in these three passages is this, again, among other things, that the gospel was something that needed to be proclaimed. It was something that needed to be preached. So let's keep that as a basis as we'll go on and develop our line of thought this morning. And we want to turn our attention now to some writings of the Apostle Paul in his use of the word gospel. It was good news as well to Paul and, and, that, and, and how he uses this word. But I'd like for you to look at Galatians chapter 3 and verse 8. And, and this is, is kind of an unusual passage in that it, it says something that's a little bit, if you will, strange from our common understanding of the word gospel. 
what we think about when we think about the gospel? Galatians 3.8, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. He preached the gospel to Abraham? You know, we think of gospel, we think of the death of Christ and the time thereafter in the death of Christ. I thought you and I lived in the gospel age. You see, we, we tend to think and use the word gospel in keeping with the time, with, with the coming of Christ and his death upon the cross, his resurrection, and the time thereafter that you and I live in up to the time we, we are here today. But here's a passage that says the gospel was preached to Abraham. And I'm thinking about this in my mind. I'm thinking about Abraham, Genesis 12. Uh, Genesis being, you know, uh, the book about the beginning of time. And that's a long time before Moses. It's a long, long time before the gospel records that we're referring to this morning. So, so how did the gospel get preached to Abraham? Well, if you'll notice, Paul tells us exactly what he meant by this when he says, here was the concept of the message. Here was, here was the gospel when he said, in thee all nations be blessed or shall be blessed. There it is right there. Now, do I believe for an instance that, that Abraham understood fully what was meant and, and the significance of that to you and me? No, no, I don't. I don't think that. Nevertheless, Abraham was told hundreds of years ago, hundreds of years before Christ, in thee shall all nations be blessed. Now, in order for us to, to fully understand this uh, and what's going on, let's go a little further in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16 reads, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. And notice he doesn't say, and to seeds as in plural, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, and seed is capitalized. And so who is the seed? The seed is Christ. And, and the, the Apostle Paul explains all this to us. Now, now you and I might not have used the word gospel in that way. Uh, you know, we might not have thought of it in terms of what was said to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. But nevertheless, the Apostle Paul says that was the gospel. The good news to Abraham was indeed all nations shall be blessed. And so what, what were they speaking about? Obvious again, seed, singular. Not seed as of man, but seed as seed of Christ, as in Christ. He spoke the gospel, the good news, and it was preached hundred years, hundreds of years before Christ. You see how Paul uses the word gospel? Well, let's go a little further into, God, into Paul's writings. Go to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I want us to look at, at verses 17 and 18. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to, who, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What did Paul say? He said, I have been sent to preach the gospel. Now, 
significantly, the context of this verse helps us to understand what the gospel is. What does it consist of? Well, look at verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to unto us which are saved it is the power of God. The preaching of the gospel involves the preaching of the cross. The preaching that does not involve the cross of Christ, I, I maintain to you, cannot be gospel preaching. And we need to give emphasis to the cross of Jesus Christ. Staying in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, let's look at verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greek foolishness. The preaching of the gospel is the preaching of the crucifixion of Christ, not just as, as a historical fact, but, but giving the preaching of the crucifixion of Christ. All the significance which sparks scripture is this atoning sacrifice that he's talking about here. The cru crucifixion of Christ is a sin offering. It's an atoning, atoning sacrifice. It was offered outside the gates just as, as the Old Testament offerings were done. It is for you and me. It is an atoning sacrifice. It, he, he is becoming sin for us. All that is involved and so much more in the preaching of, 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 of Christ crucified. Going down a little further to verse 30 of that same chapter. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And, and I want you to notice the, in, in that verse the words, in Christ. In Christ. The preaching of the gospel involves the preaching of the relationship that we have in Christ. Those two words, in Christ. They're highly significant words if you look at the, the writings and teachings of the Apostle Paul. He, he refers to them. Uh, he, 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 he uses in the Lord Jesus in a number of ways. The idea that, that, that we are in Christ. And you could even go so far as to say maybe that summarizes his theology, Paul's theology, in Christ. For example, if, just briefly, we are new creatures in Christ. Or we have all spiritual blessings in Christ. You hear that over and over. It's part of the preaching of the gospel that, that Paul speaks about, even back that we were referring to when we read uh, verse 17 a few moments ago. But here in 1 first, first Corinthians, it involves the preaching of this in Christ relationship. In Christ relationship. Now staying in 1 Corinthians, turn over to chapter 15. <clears throat> and let's look at the first four verses of chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand but which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Here is, if you will, the fullest statement in brief of what the gospel message is. There's three great facts. Three great facts. Number one, the death of Christ we preach. 
The cross, the death of Christ upon the cross, that's a fact. Number two, the burial of Christ, buried in the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Why was he buried? Because he was dead. He died. But that, then the message goes on to point out the third fact, that he was raised from the dead. And then he speaks of all the witnesses who saw Christ after he had risen. Those are three great facts. And these three great facts there, in them comes the message of, of hope and of salvation for all of us and all of mankind. Turn to Romans 6, and we want to read uh, some, some verses out of Romans 6. Here we see in Romans 6, there is a place in time, there is an action in time, in which we are all united into these three great facts that we just noticed here a moment ago. Romans 6, verse 3. Read down through verse 5. And do you not know that as many as you, as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Herefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Isn't that wonderful information for you and I? Uh, all of us have this regarding the facts of the gospel. There's the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And then when I am baptized, I'm united into those. I'm united into the death, the burial, and thankfully, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is raised to walk in newness of life. And out of these three great facts, these three great truths, there comes the, the one gospel transaction that we, we're talking about, and that's baptism. Baptism. Those three great gospel facts are present in baptism. And until a person has been baptized, he's, he's not been united into the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism in, in Scripture is always an immersion. It's always a burial. And so I want you to pause this morning for a moment, and I just want to ask you, have you not been buried with Christ in baptism? You need to be thinking about that if you haven't. And as, as we continue our thoughts this morning in the book of Romans, we continue with some of Paul's thoughts down to, uh, or back to Romans chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Read that with me if you would. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. The message of the gospel is facts, but it's not just facts. Now, yes, there, there, it has in it factual truth, historical truth. But the gospel is always more than facts. And what Paul says here is it is the power. The power is not in the facts. The power is in the message of the word of the gospel. And the word of God has to be proclaimed as we started out establishing this morning. It, it has to be preached in order for it to be understood and for it to be known. And, and one of the inter interesting things here is that 
Paul says it's, it isn't only those people who are out of Christ for whom the gospel is intended. Look at verse 15 again. So as much time as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are, who, who are in Rome also. So what's he saying in verse 15? He says, I want to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. And, and who are they? Well, they're, they're the Christians that, that Paul is writing to. Paul's saying, I want to preach the gospel to you. So the gospel is for those people who are, are out of Christ. It's the power of God to save them. But it's also the power of God to save the saved. And we need never forget that. And he says one more thing that I want to say right here, and that's this. It is a tragedy of, norm, of enormous proportions when God's people no longer want to hear gospel preaching. That's a tragedy. What, what we like to hear so often, what's proclaimed in so many churches around the land, is anecdotal tr- preaching. That's really what the truth is. Be careful not to offend. Uh, be careful to be politically correct. Tiptoe around things. Unfortunately, we have way too much anecdotal preaching, superficial preaching, sermonettes for Christianettes, but not gospel preaching like we continually need over and over. Turn to Galatians chapter 1, and let's read verses 6 through 9. Galatians 1, 6 through 9. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than that we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. What is Paul recognizing here? He's recognizing that there were going to be perversions of the gospel. So what is a perversion? It's, it's a change into something that it was never intended to be. And it's usually very often not a change for the better. It's a change for the worse. What's saying in the book of Galatians, uh, turn over to Galatians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Let's read those together. And that because the false brethren unawares brought in who came in privately to spy out our liberty which we leave, which we have in, in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Think about this. Anything that's different from the truth of the gospel, anything that is different from what is revealed in Scripture is a perversion. That's, that's what Paul's talking about here. And the preaching... Of the of perversions brings the curse of God. What did he say? Let him be accursed. The apostle wrote that that they were living in a, a a age of gospel perversion, and so are you and I. The perversions range from spurious teaching uh, concerning Christ to these perverted doctrines that that we referred to earlier that are different from what's revealed in Scripture. 
But I want to say to you this morning that, that we have to, even including what I'm preaching to you this morning, we have to compare carefully what we see, what we hear, and what we practice. Be sure that it's not different from what is revealed in God's Word, the Word of the Gospel. So what is the objective of the Word of the Gospel? Let's, let's go back to where we began this morning with Acts chapter 15 and verse 7. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know not you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. They, they would hear the word of the gospel. And I mentioned a couple of times already this morning that, you know, the gospel is facts. It contains historical truth. We know that Jesus was nailed to the cross, that he hung there and he died, and he, he was buried and he, and, he, and, he, and he was resurrected. Those are historical facts. But what is going to make the gospel powerful is the proclamation of the message and, and the response to that message in terms of obedience of each individual. The, the, the gospel message must never become just simply facts. It must always be to us that power of God which is preached and, and proclaimed with the, the purpose of changing the lives of individuals. That's the objective of the gospel, to change the lives of individuals, to bring them into harmony uh, with God and with God's will for our lives. We can read what the objective of the gospel is. Mark 15, 16, 15, and 16. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. The objective of the gospel is to bring people to belief and obedience. Then having believed and, and having been baptized into Christ, the objective of the gospel is to teach us how to conform ourselves to the in Christ life that Paul talks about and we were talking about earlier. Yes, the, the gospel is facts. To believe its commandments, to obey its promises, to enjoy. If, if you believe the gospel facts, facts concerning the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, facts concerning the atonement of Christ, uh, facts concerning Calvary, then the question is this. Have you obeyed the commandments? that we read about in Mark chapter 16. Baptism is described in Romans 6, Romans 6, 17 that we read a little while ago as a form of doctrine to be obeyed. Have you obeyed the command? And then there is this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, which is sobering language. Language that, that our world today desperately needs to hear, but not only hear, not only just hear it, but understand its significance. Second Thessalonians chapter one, verses eight and nine. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. 
So the question again is, have you obeyed the commandment? Do you, be you believe the facts? Maybe you do, but have you obeyed the commandment? And if, if you've not obeyed the commandment, then the promises of the gospel are not yours. The only promise that is yours, if you persist and you're failing to obey, is the promise of which we just read there a moment ago in 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 8 and 9. The promise of everlasting destruction. That's the promise you have. You know, we, we sing a, a song for an invitation song often called, uh, uh, that, that says, I am resolved. That's, that's the title of it. I am resolved no longer to linger. No longer to linger, but to obey the commandment. And so I want to ask you this morning, is there any way we can serve you to help you in your decision to obey the command, to obey the gospel, we want to know that. If you decided today, I want to be obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ by being baptized into him, into his death, into his burial, into his resurrection, then we want you to respond this morning. We want you to come out in the aisle there and come down to the front and say, I want to be baptized, and we'll be glad to assist you. If there's any way we can assist you this morning, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.